guys can have a seat this morning. You know, normally I love uh, singing with the worship team. I, I love the songs that we do, but I have to be honest. I mean, we just sang that song this morning, and I kind of I, I felt more convicted than anything because we said those words, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood is righteousness. My hope is built on nothing less. And I think about all the things that I put my hope in and all the times that I've placed my hope in things that weren't Jesus. And it, con- it convicts me this morning. And when we look at hope today, hope is a powerful thing. It is such a, a powerful thing to have in our lives. It's no wonder we see articles like this written, and one called Turning Lives Around with Hope. It is written uh, in a Yale case that studies, and the study shows that, that kids that endured hardships at a young age in life have a greater chance of, of growing to have an excellent future if, if they are given hope when they are young. If they have hope that they can have a good future, then they more likely than not will have a good future. Or there's articles like this written by this Dr. Jerome Groupman when he states that when he has patients come into his office, patients with hope, that is just as essential in many cases as, as patients uh, receiving medicine. That, that oftentimes hope can be just as healing in many circumstances, and I tell you as a pastor, I've seen that over and over again. I have seen, when I've gone to visit people, whether that for physical uh, struggles or even emotional struggles, hope is powerful in those situations. But the likewise is true, the detriment that I have seen on people's health as, opposed, as the not having hope. It, it, hope is powerful. Without hope, we know it's easy to give up, isn't it? Without hope, it's, it's more likely we will make poor decisions in our life. Without hope, it, it's easy to live this life of just apathy, of carelessness, without hope. But when we have hope, we know that Nothing can stop us. When we have hope, we know that we can live this life of of endurance, of steadfastness. When we have hope, you and I, each and every week, can have the strength we need to root for the Cleveland Browns. With hope, all things are possible. Because hope is powerful. It's a powerful thing to have. Hope causes us to look ahead. It causes us to to long for things that are far greater than what we're experiencing right now in front of us because we all know, each and every one of us, that life is hard and hope is something that we all need to get through this life. And I'm not talking about just those of you who are Christ followers, those of you who are religious people, or those of you who call yourself Christian. I'm not talking, I'm talking about humanity as a whole. Every single person needs hope. And if that's true, that we need hope to get through this life, then that makes me wonder, what are you putting your hope in today? Where are you getting your hope? And by getting it, I, I, I'm not talking about 
the temporary hope that we can sometimes grab onto that gives us a little hope for a brief period of time, but then it slips through our fingers and it's gone just as fast as we can get it. And you know the kind of hope I'm talking about. It's that kind of hope that you get from, from a, a, a relationship or the kind of hope you get from your family, maybe from your job or your finances. Maybe it's a, it, maybe it's a system or a government or a leader or who knows where you get your hope. Uh, those things... Those things all have one common denominator. They will fail you every time. All will fail you. And it makes sense, right? Because we live in a broken world. It's a temporary world. It is foolish to put your hope in something that is broken. It's foolish to put your hope in something that's temporary. So we all, every single one of us, need to be, uh, put our hope in something that is, is sure, that is, that is trustworthy, that will anchor us. It's the kind of hope that I think is talked about here in Hebrews chapter 6, when it says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. It is this kind of hope the author of Hebrews tells us that is secure, that will anchor us so that when life is pulling us this direction and life is pulling you this direction and you don't know what's going on, this kind of hope will keep you centered, keep you anchored and steadfast. It will hold you secure. That is the kind of hope this is talking about. And, and I don't know about you, but doesn't that sound like the kind of hope you want? I mean, this is the kind of hope that sounds incredible. So today, over the next few minutes, I hope that we can discover together how to just simply embrace this kind of hope that I'm talking about once and for all. And we're going to do that in Revelation chapter 21. So if you turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21, we are nearing the end of our series on Revelation. We've been in this for almost 15 weeks. It's the longest uh, series we've ever done at the chapel, and there's just a couple more weeks to go, and we're finishing it up. And I have been longing specifically for this particular uh, chapter because we've talked about the judgments, we've talked about the apocalypse, we've talked about all of those hard things, and now we come to a chapter that excites me because the words in it are thrilling and they are, they are packed full with the promise we have of a hope to come. In fact, these words are so powerful this morning that I'm going to ask you to do something we don't normally do at the chapel, and I would love to read these, and as I do, would you just stand with me? Out of honor, out of respect for God's word, would you, would you stand? Let me read these. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, sorrow, crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. 
And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for I tell you, what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Would you have a seat? As we look at those verses, I recognize there's a lot there. There's a, there, there's a lot to unpack. And so I, I want to today just kind of pull out a few observations of, of what Jesus here is saying about hope. What, what he has anchored in the promise of a future with him. And so he begins here in these verses by giving us a description of the hope we have in heaven. And what is heaven? Well, let's look again at, at verse 1. Jesus says, that he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth has disappeared and the sea was also gone. Now this gives us some clues, but I tell you, if you're like me, when I was a kid, I had this picture of what I thought heaven would look like. Maybe it was a similar picture that you had when you were little of what you thought heaven was going to look like. Is this close? I mean, we're, on the, we're, we're sitting on clouds. Maybe we have wings so we can fly around. I'm pretty sure we're carrying harps. And, um, you know, I don't want to offend you or anything. Maybe you're a famous harpist. Is that the word? Harp player? And you love it. That's great. For me, this sounds horrible. Sitting on a cloud playing a harp all day long, not my idea of a good time. And in fact, this isn't the description that the Bible gives us of heaven whatsoever. This is something that we've concocted. We look at this thing called heaven and we have all these ideas. It reminds me of this famous theologian who is very, very wise, who, who we all should know. He once said these words. That you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Come on, that's funny. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Well, moving on. So, so heaven is used, the word heaven is used 500 times in our Bibles. 500 times, but it's used three different ways. So let me explain to you the three different ways it's used. The first way that we see heaven being used excuse me, is, is the earth's atmosphere. That is like the, the clouds, the, uh, the birds, you know, things in our own atmosphere in the sky. That is one way heaven is talked about. The second way heaven is talked about in our Bibles is the starry heavens. That would be our, our, our atmosphere, our, um, or excuse me, our space. That would be like, like uh, planets and the moon and the sun and the stars. And the Bible refers to it as the starry heavens. And then there's a third way that heaven is used in our Bibles. And this third way is the unique dwelling place of God. It's the place where, where angels, where Christ followers all come together to live for eternity. And Revelation chapter 21 is describing what that third heaven is going to be. But it's not created yet and no one's there. Which makes me go, well, then where do Christ followers go when they die? Well, 
I think a clue to that is Paul's description here. When he's sharing his desire to be with Jesus, he writes this in 2 Corinthians. He says, yes, we are fully confident we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. Heaven is this temporary place where we will go to be with Jesus. But as Jesus is describing in Revelation chapter 21, this will be a temporary place that will give way to our final dwelling place that he calls the new earth with Jesus. So now we're getting into some deep weeds. So let's go there for a minute. Let's, let's, let's travel down into these weeds. So what will this new earth be like? Well, short answer, it'll look a lot like this earth. But so much better, so much greater than you could ever imagine. It'll be far superior to this earth in every single way. In fact, verse 5, I love what Jesus says. He says, in one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. I'm making it new. Well, what, so what's going to be new about this new earth? Well, Peter gives us a hint when he writes, he says, but we're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth as he has promised. He acknowledges that. And then he says, the world filled with God's righteousness. There it is. God's righteousness. A world ruled by God's righteousness, a world ruled by peace, ruled by love, ruled by justice, ruled by goodness, ruled by life, as opposite to the, the world that we have now that's ruled in, you know, things like selfishness and sin and death. Those things aren't a part of the new earth. There's so much debate, honestly, between theologians on, on whether God is going to totally uh, wipe out this earth when he brings in the new one or whether he's going to restore what he has created. And I got to tell you, in that debate, if I were God, I think I would just scrap this mess and start, from, start over. But it seems like Jesus really likes what's been created. God even said in, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, as we read the creation, he says after he creates things, what? It is good. He sees what he creates and he says, it was good. It seems like God really likes what he's done. And in fact, scripture seems to point to us the idea of this restoration. It is putting the earth back to its pre-sin condition, to its pre-death Condition, the condition that we see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 when we read of Eden, only it's going to be better than that because sin in the new earth won't even be an option. It can't be there. The idea of restoration here is simple. If you're like me, you're kind of a visual person and, and you've seen HDTV, you've seen all the house flipping thing, you understand restoration. I love this. And if one of you has one of these in your garage, you would love to send my way. I'll gladly take it. It's a 1969 Chevy Camaro. It is old, yes. Uh, but when we restore it, we take something that is old and we not only put it back into new condition, but oftentimes better than new condition. This is the same car. Oh, isn't that a beautiful car? It's a new condition. This is what Jesus here is doing with this new earth. He is removing what is bad. He's removing the sin and he's restoring it to what is good. This word 
restoration, it's really part of, of a bigger picture of something that we call the meta-narrative of Scripture. And this meta-narrative of Scripture, it comes in four chapters. This is really a fancy word for saying the grand story of Scripture. And so here are the four different chapters we see. Creation, at the beginning of, of God's Word, we see that God created all things. And He said it was good. But then, real close behind that, we see what we call the fall. We messed it up. We disobeyed God. Sin came into this world. It was broken. It was not how it was intended to be. And then the third chapter comes, redemption. Jesus comes. He comes to rescue his people. And then the fourth chapter of this meta-narrative of Scripture we see that we're looking at today is the restoration. That is God renewing. If you're a logical thinker and you're looking for uh, why the world is messed up and what the solution is to fix it, this grand narrative of Scripture makes perfect sense to you. And if you're wondering what it's going to practically look like to live on this new, renewed earth, I love what the professor Dr. Whitmer says, and he says, redemption restores rather than obliterates creation. So he says, here's a good rule of thumb for deciding what will be on the earth. If the item in question belongs to creation, expect it to be here. If it belongs to the fall, expect it to be gone. When I think of this new earth and the things that will be here, there's many things that excite me. Three particular things excite me, though, that I want to point out to you today. And the first thing that excites me that will be a part of this new earth probably won't surprise you, because if you know me, you know this is the kind of thing that excites me, but it'll be the taste of food. Not just the taste of food, but even the the purpose of food. Can you imagine it? I, I mean, God created the garden in Genesis, and he gave them food, good food to eat, but here's the difference. In this fallen, sinful world, we need food for sustenance. We need food to satisfy us. We need food to fulfill our hunger. We need food. In this new earth, we won't eat for fulfillment or hunger. We get to eat just out of joy. The joy. Ah, Can you imagine the calorie-free lifestyle? (laughs) Can you imagine the flavors, the taste that'll be present? We won't need to be satisfied with food because we're already satisfied in Jesus. In fact, remember Matthew chapter 5 said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And then we just read how Peter said, Boy, Jesus, the new earth will be filled with Jesus' righteousness. You see how these pieces are fitting together? I can't make this stuff up. It goes together too perfectly. On this new earth, oh, I long for the taste of food. But what about this? The wholeness of humanity. Can you you imagine with me? If you are a Christ follower, if you have given your life to following Jesus, if you are a believer, if you have confessed with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you will be in this new earth with me. We will be together and we will be ourselves. We will be individual with our personalities. The only thing is, is we will be whole. 
We, we will be happy. We will be healthy. Our brokenness, our brokenness physically, our brokenness emotionally, our brokenness spiritually and, and socially, all those things gone. They won't be part of it anymore. All of, all of the fighting, all of the bickering, all the family dynamics, all of the arguing over vaccines and masks, gone forever. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. It's gone. I can't wait for that day. And, and the thought of this blows my mind. In verse 4, when Jesus said, they wipe every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All of these things are gone forever. That means no more wheelchairs, no more chemotherapy, no more mental illness, no more sleepless nights, no more anxiety and worrying, no more grieving over the loss of our loved ones. Those things are gone. And they're gone forever. And no longer part of the new earth. They can't be there. Oh, the new earth is going to have amazing food. It's going to have wholeness of, of humanity. And it's going to be beautiful. Can you imagine the beauty of this place? I don't think, I'm not even going to try to describe it. Because I, I can't. I can't describe it. And even if I could describe it, I don't think you and I have the, the minds that could even process or fathom the grandeur of what this is going to be like. In fact, as I read the description of just the new Jerusalem, that place where Jesus will, will rule and reign on this new earth, it's just breathtaking. Look at the description of just the streets and the gates. All right, these are just streets and gates, and look how they're described. Twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. If this is how he's describing streets, imagine the beauty of everything else. I don't, I don't know if we can. It's going to be too much for us to take in today, I so here's the rule of thumb, once again, from Dr. Whitmer. If God created it, it stays. And it'll be better than you could ever imagine. If it's part of evil, if it's part of sin, if it's part of death, things like disease and suffering and raisins and the Pittsburgh Steelers, gone. Gone forever. No more do we have to think about that stuff. Truly, this is so exciting. And what I absolutely love is I haven't told you the best part. The best part is, is overwhelming. And there's a few verses throughout chapter 21 to highlight the best part of this new earth. And so I kind of am grabbing a few of those and I'm sticking them together. Let me read them for you. Verse 3 says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Then verse 7 says, All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Verse 22 and falling says, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need for sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light. The kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. If I had to sum up for you this morning 
all of these verses into one word, it would be Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. We sing this at Christmas because Jesus came to be with us. Emmanuel. We celebrate this in Revelation chapter 21 because God will be with us. Yes, the food's going to be great. Yes, the wholeness of humanity is going to be great. Yes, the beauty is going to be great. But none of those things can even slightly compare to knowing that we will be spending eternity in the presence of God. That's how it was supposed to be from the beginning. God... God created this world. We were supposed to enjoy life with him. We were supposed to enjoy life with each other in this perfect world. But we know from the second chapter of the meta-narrative of Scripture that we, we blew it. We messed it up. And, and God's promise to us here is that he's coming again. Only this time he's staying for good. Heaven is not this place in the sky that we're going to fly to. No, no, no. Heaven is, as Paul said, is, it's where we are home. It's where we're home, home on this restored earth with God and his presence forever. If that doesn't give you hope today, I don't know what does. Because that is the hope we cling to today. That's the hope we have to cling into because I don't know what you have going on in your life. I don't know what some of the things are that you're carrying, some of the weights and the burdens that hold you down. I don't know. And I'm definitely not making light of your hurt. I'm not minimizing your pain. I'm not rolling my eyes at your struggles. That is not it at all because those are completely legit and they are real. I acknowledge that. But what I am telling you about today is a hope and a hope that is far, far greater and surpasses anything that you are carrying today. This hope is over because this is a hope of the future, a future without sin, without death. This is the hope of, of, that is steadfast, a hope that will anchor you. Oh, oh, this is a hope that, that anchors your soul so that when life tears at you and pulls you this way and that way, you will be secure, you will be grounded. This is a hope that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a hope that is not fleeting, it is certain. It will always be there. This is a hope that you and I will be with our Savior in his presence for eternity, forever. This is hope. And because of this hope, I can declare this to you this morning. I declare this, that those of you in this room that understand this hope, those of you in this room that, that live with this hope today, that in the midst of trials and tribulations, you will still have joy. In the midst of trials and tribulations, you will still have peace. In the midst of trials and tribulations, you will still love. In the midst of trials and tribulations, you will still have faith because it'll be you who understands this hope and it'll be you that advances the kingdom of God forward because you know what is at stake and you know what is awaiting you. For this, we have hope. 
And if you're here today and you don't have this hope that I am speaking of, and this sounds foreign to you, then I encourage you, do not leave this place without having it. Because that hope can be found in Jesus Christ. And I can introduce him to you today. So please find someone before you leave. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this hope that we have in you and you alone. Lord, for the times I've put my hope in so many other things and they have failed, I, Lord, forgive me. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we trust you. We trust your word. We trust what you have to say. We look forward in anticipation for what is to come. Lord, we love you. And if there's someone in this place that is struggling with this and they are looking for hope, Lord, you give them the courage to speak to someone this morning about that. Lord, we trust you and we love you with all these things. It's in your name I pray, amen. Hey, before you go, uh, let me remind you of one thing. Don't forget, next Sunday is our Warming the Homeless. If you have those coats and hats, bring those in next Sunday. We'll collect those. Um, and so as you go, stand with me. Let's say our benediction together a couple more times, and we are done with this Revelation 1-4. Let's say this. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. Amen. Go with hope. He's the glory of the Lord to me, the light within our midst. Is it good that we remind ourselves?